Hello, you beautiful, amazing women. Welcome to the Live Treasured Podcast. You know something? Loss is not the end of your story. And God has filled the book of Ruth with amazing, timeless biblical truths, not only to help our hearts heal after loss, but also to experience His over-the-top, wonderful restoration from everything the enemy has taken. And in today's podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you an audio teaching message from Naomi's next chapter, which is a Treasure Tribe Bible study on the book of Ruth. And hey, if you're interested in accessing all Treasure Tribe Bible studies like Naomi's next chapter and other amazing benefits, including access to our private social media platform for our Just for Women online Christian community, I want you to go visit www.treasuredtribe.com and sign up for membership. And you know something? Best of all, when you sign up for membership, not only do you get access to everything that you need to dive in and study the Word of God, you get a supportive community to cheer you on and... You support Treasured Ministries because 100% of the revenue goes right back into supporting everything that we do, including this podcast. Visit treasuredtribe.com, sign up for membership, and get ready to thrive with daily truth and a tribe by your side. And now, on to today's show. Let's do this. next chapter. We're on the second week of walking through our seven-week study uh, inside the book of Ruth, where we are looking into God's redeeming love to find life after loss. I want to begin by asking you this question. Do you have any hobbies that you love to do because your grandmother did them when you were around? Was it cooking? Was it knitting? Um, For me, it was gardening. My grandmother loved to work in her yard, and her yard was just beautiful. Um, And I just enjoyed that so much as a little girl that uh, when I was married and and have my own place, I started to, you know, plant plants as well. Now, when I had my children, of course, a lot of my free time uh, was taken up, so I kind of let that go for a while, but now I'm an empty nester, and that has created more space and more time in my life, and I've really enjoyed getting back into gardening. And a lot of the plants uh, that were in my backyard had been neglected 
for a while. You know how it is as a mom um, in those years where you're in your car constantly all the time, running around everywhere. I mean, you know, there's just some things that um, that just fall by the wayside, right? And one of those were were my plants. And so inside of my yard, um, when we moved into our house, I made sure uh, that we planted some camellia bushes. And the reason is, is that that was my grandmother's favorite flower. And so for sentimental reason, these flowers just hold a very special place uh, inside of my heart. I love that they bloom or the uh, the japonica variety blooms um, during the winter time. I think that's just so special and, and significant. But most of all, I remember going in my grandmother's yard and picking camellias and then putting them in little teeny vases um, inside of, of her home. And it was always a special treat before I left her house to pick some camellias uh, to take with me. So I made sure that we planted um, camellia bushes um, and then, you know, life got in the way and I just kind of let them grow. And so now that I've stepped back into gardening, I, uh, I have time to pay attention to the camellias and for good reason. There was one bush um, that was just not looking too healthy. And so I did what I always do with my gardening, which is like go to YouTube, right? To, to figure things out. And what I learned and discovered from YouTube and also talking with and talking with my local nursery is that that camellia needed to be pruned. That it had not been shaped or pruned in, you know, seven years. And it was time to get the scissors out. And so after learning how to do it and what to look for and which branches to cut, I cut away a lot of branches. And when I backed away from the plant, um, at first I was very concerned that, that I had hurt the plant, but everybody assured me that this was good for the plant, that, that it would thrive. Um, and so I waited next season and in the next season, there were no buds. Like at least before, there, you know, when the plant was kind of unhealthy looking, there would be a few buds that would come up. But now, I mean, it did not bloom at all. The nursery that I go to where I get my plants, you can bring a specimen of the plant and ask them questions. And so I brought them the branch and I said, you know, did, did I hurt the tree? Did, did I do something wrong? You know, and they said, I, I said, is this something I should pull up? Should I just start all over again? And uh, maybe I shouldn't water it anymore. And they said, no, 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 no. Pruning, whenever you prune, there's always going to be a season where you're without. While the tree redirects its energy and focuses on the way that you're telling it to grow. And that is all a part of the process. So be patient, they told me, and wait. And next year, you will have uh, blooms. And sure enough, this year, and as I'm filming this now, the camellias are actually blooming, so it's very exciting. And you would not believe the buds on this tree. I've got right that there. And that story um, illustrates a principle uh, really about the harvest that I want to talk to you about today and about loss. You know, whenever we 
let go of something. And, you know, not only did Naomi lose her husband and her two sons, but she had to let go of Moab, right? And come into Bethlehem and and start really uh, fresh and all over again. As she was leaving Moab, we started seeing evidence of her resisting help from people and um, and certainly evidence of her just uh, resisting God, feeling like that he was, was against her. And you know, when we let go of something, the difficult part of that, even if we're letting go of something, like uh, Naomi was letting go of Moab, um, even though that was not uh, God's best for her, uh, and it was was His will for her to go back into Bethlehem, you know, letting go is hard because it means for a while we're going to be without. Just like when I pruned my camellia bush, the next season there were no buds, and I thought because. Before I pruned it, at least, even though it was not very healthy looking, at least there were some buds, right, on the tree. And I was so afraid uh, that I had hurt the plant, but the plant um, was spending its time doing some work that I couldn't even see. And, you know, when uh, we plant a seed, before we see a harvest, there will always be this in-between time where we don't see evidence uh, of a harvest yet. And that can be a very challenging time, but also a very beautiful time. God can use that time in our life to to increase our dependency uh, upon Him. So in between a last chapter and a new chapter, exist an intermission or a season of waiting or a holy pause or wilderness that is necessary for your next chapter. Inside of the Bible, we see many examples of this season of being in between. Uh, When the Israelites left Egypt, they had an in-between time in the wilderness before they reached their promised land. Um, When Jesus was crucified, there was a three-day period before there was the resurrection. Uh, Joseph received a dream from God, but then spent 17 years walking through some really Uh, yucky circumstances uh, where he was not in that leadership place at all. He was put in prison. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers before he was promoted to second in command um, in Egypt and into the place where God wanted him to be. You and I are in an in-between season, right? We are waiting for the return. Jesus has resurrected, but we're waiting for that second coming of Christ. And right now we're in this in-between wilderness season where we're living uh, inside of a broken world. 1 Peter 5, 6 is another picture of this uh, intermission or holy pause. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Did you see that? There's a decision to humble 
And then it says, at the right time, many translations say, at the due time, he will lift you up. So here's what's very tricky about that in-between season. Because you see, as much as there is a God that wants to redeem your loss, there's an enemy that wants to ruin your redemption of your loss. And he loves to take advantage of that in-between season. During the in-between season, the enemy will plant seeds of deception in an attempt to ruin your trust in the Lord and destroy your rebuild. In Luke 8, we see that the enemy, uh, he just intercepts that seed before it has time to even take root. In Matthew 13, 27 and 28, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, we see that the farmer uh, went out and he planted good seed, but that the enemy came and he sowed seeds that created weeds. And we know that weeds like to choke out the harvest and this is what he he thinks. The bottom line that I believe that he wants to get to is he says, you know, if I could just get Naomi to believe that God is not for her, she will resist his help, right? Because you can't surrender to somebody that you don't fully trust. Uh, Going back to that uh, scripture in 1 Peter 5, um, it says this, So humble yourselves under God's mighty power, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because He cares about you. See, if we believe that God cares about us, right, we'll surrender to the plan. We'll still believe even yet before we have to see a harvest that our God is for us. The farmer, right, is for us. But then listen to what it says. Verse 8, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the verse before that said, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Have you ever uh, been like Naomi and you make the decision, right, to, to go to make a move? Like she made the decision to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem. But then on the way, right, we see Naomi interrupting. God's redemption and resisting help from others and resisting uh, God's redemption. And so that verse says, humble yourselves, right? Because he cares for you, but watch out. Because before you're lifted up, you better believe that that enemy is going to be roaring loud with his lies. And boy, can he use the loss in our life to lie to us and today is the day where we are going to take some very brave steps. Are you ready? Uh, because we are going to have to hold hands as we walk through this chapter. We're going to look into Naomi's life. And the reason why I want you to hold hands is that we, you, you know, the Lord may use this time to uncover some things in your life, some beliefs that you may not even be aware of, that need to be pruned away. 
you. John 15, 1 and 2, it says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. The gardener may speak to you today as he did to me and he might point out some seeds of deception that the enemy has sown. And it can be hard to look at those. But as we go through this chapter, you remember that the gardener is for you, that God the gardener is for you, and that it is through awareness and our authenticity with him and asking him for help that we can begin to walk in a new way. Not only does the enemy sow these seeds of deception in our life to try to damage our trust against the Lord so that we will resist receiving his help and 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 the rebuild that God wants to do in our life, but he also sows them ever so skillfully and quietly and slowly over time so that we're not even aware that those are beliefs that are deeply seated inside of our subconscious and they're self-sabotaging the beautiful harvest that God wants to work in you. This reminds me of the story of my oldest son, Josh. Like I said, he's flown out of the nest. He's, he's 21 now, but when he was Uh, in third grade, and when Justin was in first grade, we got in the car to go to the eye doctor. And the reason why we were going to the eye doctor was not because of Josh, it was because of Justin. When I would read Justin books at night, uh, no kidding, he would hold up his book like this, and he would bring the book to his um, face. And um, so I started thinking, you know, maybe... Uh, maybe he is having trouble seeing. And so I mentioned it to the boy's pediatrician and she said, you know, take Justin in to Dr. Boy, which is a doctor, an eye doctor for children in Raleigh. Have have the boys checked. And I said, both boys? She said, yeah. She said, you're bringing Justin in. You might as well bring Josh in too. And so so we came in and uh, and Dr. Board uh, uh, said, well, let me, let me examine Josh first because he's uh, you know, we don't think the concern is with him. And so he examined Josh and then he didn't say anything. And then he examined Justin. And then at the very end, he said, Mrs. Thompson, he said, your younger son that you actually came in here for, he's fine. But Josh needs glasses. Josh needs glasses. And Josh said, I don't need glasses, Mom. I can see just fine. And in in fact, that poor precious child, little tears got in his eyes because he didn't want to have to wear glasses to school. But anyway, then, then, uh, then, you know, at home, I said, you know, the doctor is for you, right? This is for your good. This is something he wants to do for you to, to correct your vision. And so, so Josh was fitted and uh, got a prescription for his glasses. And I'll never forget when he came home, or when we were going home in the car and he put he put his glasses on, he said, Mom, I can see. I can see the leaves, right, on the tree. And I said, well, you, 
this is the first time you've seen leaves on the tree and Josh explained to me that they just looked like blurry blobs because the definition uh, was taken away from the leaf uh, because of his vision. But Josh was unaware and he was unaware because this uh, deception in his vision happened slowly over time. And when we have experienced, as Naomi did, repeated loss in our life, the enemy, make no mistake about it, will continue to use those circumstances to drive those lies deeper. And it's so hard to want to let it go, to want to believe that you don't have a reason to be ashamed, to want to believe that God is for you. And yet there's this frustration and friction that you feel because you just can't seem to get over the hump. Well, let me tell you something. Your God is for you. He is for you. And it is not he is for you, and all things are possible through him. Naomi went through a tremendous amount of loss, and today we're going to see that there was, there was an outpouring of pain because of that and a resistance to trusting God. And instead of condemning Naomi, I actually think that the last half of this chapter is such a beautiful thing. Because at least Naomi was honest with how she felt. And we're going to see in the second chapter signs of new life inside of our Naomi. And so as we walk through this, we're going to need to be brave, right? Because, you know, God the gardener, he may, he may you know, reveal some things to us that, that need to be let go of. And sometimes when that happens, we can feel overwhelmed because we don't know how to do it. We can feel like I've tried to do that before and it hasn't. Don't worry about that. Right now, we want to just step back and take a look inside of Naomi's life, a woman who loved deeply and lost greatly and how that loss had skewed her perspective to who God was and how that resulted in actions that resisted the harvest. You are not gonna believe this. It is February and it just thundered for that. But you know what that means? That we're gonna get snow. But anyway, so let's go ahead and dive into our nurse scripture this week, which is Ruth chapter one, verses eight through 22. And the first thing that I want you to see that crafty old enemy sowing those seeds of self-reliance and control. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's home. Then in verse 11, Naomi says, why should you go with me? Can I still give 
birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands. And so, so Naomi feels like that, that there's nothing worthy about her, that she can give nothing to them. And, and the world teaches us, right, that, that we have to earn love, that, that receiving is a very vulnerable, scary place, right? And so, so if we don't feel like that we have something to give somebody, then we might resist uh, their help. Have you ever felt um, just unworthy about receiving somebody's help? And and see, this will wreak havoc. We're going to see this in our relationship with God. And at the time in Naomi's life, this is the time where she needed God's help the most. And we see those seeds of self-reliance coming up. And see, the way that God loves us many times is, is unconditional, that we can't earn it. And we might believe, like, let's just say, for example, that your loss is due to the fact because you made a huge mistake. You might think there's no way that other people should help me. I don't deserve help. And certainly not God. Here's another reason why we resist help uh, from others. We, we've heard the lie that we're just helpless and hopeless. So, so why even try? Here's another one. If you've been hurt repeatedly by people, uh, you can't trust others. And, and let me tell you something. Let me just pause right here uh, because I'm a huge believer in boundaries. And, uh, and so, so there are people that you should not trust. There are people that offer you help. I'm going to say that again, that you should not trust. But if the Lord is opening up a door for somebody uh, to help you uh, and you just have this lie lodged inside of your subconscious, right? I'm not trusting anybody. Then you'll push away not only the bad people, but the good people as well, right? Here's, here's another one. I've certainly believed this. Um, I want to be control in the loss of my life. So I'm going to reject you before you can reject me. And, the th and here's the thing about all these things that I'm telling you is that it happens at a subconscious level. So we might not be saying this out loud or articulating it or thinking it, but because it's a belief, it absolutely has an impact uh, on, on our actions. Um, and then there are those seeds of shame, right? And all throughout this, all throughout this, we are seeing evidence of shame in Naomi's life. And boy, does the enemy love to sow those seeds, doesn't he? Um, and so, so I feel ashamed, right, when, when I need help. I feel very ashamed. Now, if you have been, uh, if you have grown up being a compensator inside of relationships and um, uh, as somebody that has, the Lord has brought through a, a strong season of healing from codependency, I love bringing light to these truths as they, as they are um, unearthed inside of the Bible. But if you're a compensator, what you believe is that, you know, if I help people, then I can maintain control of relationship and, and not be rejected. And so we're the ones that are always giving to people, giving to people. So when we need help, receiving from others is a very vulnerable, uh, scary place, right? And so we just 
push it away and it almost feels um, uh, there's, there's a shame that we feel in, in receiving that help. But let me tell you something, that God did not call you to walk this journey of redemption alone. And that part of being in the body of Christ is that he will bring people to you that will be loyal and good friends. And take it from me. If you've walked through a rocky, unhealthy friendship, it can be very scary to open up your heart back in. And I'm not saying for one second that you don't trust that intuition that the Holy Spirit brings to you, but I am saying that if you shut your heart out to everybody and resist everybody who is trying to help you, and then we see the seeds of unbelief in Ruth 8 in that second part of that verse. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Now, what I want you to see in that chapter is that Naomi was praying boldly for Ruth and for Orpah. But she wasn't praying that way for her. And I want to ask you a question. What does your prayer life say about what you believe about our great God? And maybe it is that you believe this, that God's promises and blessings are for others, but not for me because I've blown it. I don't deserve to ask. Or asking for myself is, is selfish. The seeds of unbelief. And then it says that Naomi kissed them goodbye and that they all broke down and wept. And, and then in verse 10, they, they argued with Naomi and they said, no, we want to go with you to your people. And then we see another seed. And boy, when I saw this, God said to me, there's some pruning we need to do, Eileen, in your life. And that's the seeds of victimization. Verse 11, but Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and to bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his hand against me. Now, inside of these verses, we see that bad things did happen in Naomi's life. You know, it wasn't untrue. A, a lot of the things, not all the things, but a lot of the things that she was saying, it, it was the reality of her situation. But there's a difference between acknowledging and then we can take it far to this place of victimization that says bad things happened and they will continue on happening. Nothing good will ever happen to me. Victimization also tells us that we're powerless and trapped in this situation. And, and you can see inside of these scriptures that Naomi feels that way. She feels like there's no other options for her, that there's no other choice that she can make. And so she just feels hopeless to change this 
situation and, and she's stuck and she's trapped and any effort to change anything will fail. So why should she try? Has the enemy ever told you that your past is going to be impossible to overcome? Your damaged goods because of that abuse that you're that you experienced. Your marriage is over because of that adultery. Man, you better you better just hang it up because you got divorced. It's over. And the truth is that bad things do happen to good people. I wish I could tell you that the Bible says that your salvation means that you're immune to suffering, but that's not what it says. But it does say that it connects you to the source where there is a limitless supply of power and your redeemer, and that is God's specialty. But while the enemy sows these seeds of victimization, we will look around at situations in our life. And hear me when I say this, because I'm not at all about promoting pretending, right? Like there were really, Naomi was in a very bad situation, okay? She was, she was a widow. She was one of the most vulnerable people. She was elderly. I mean, you know, it, it was not great, okay? But wherever we are, However bad life gets, whatever cards you were dealt, you are never powerless. And this is the one I think that, that got me the most because sometimes I'll just get so overwhelmed with things and I'll think, you know, and I just, there's no way I can, you know, just, just those, those things. And, and it is through looking at Naomi's life that the Lord has said, Eileen, I'm for you. And all the problems that you face, that's just an opportunity for me to show off my power. And then we see the seeds of shame and self-deprecation. In verse 13, she said, Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fence against me. And we see evidence really of, of shame all over this chapter. Um, but have you ever felt like, you know, there's something that's just really wrong with me? She said, the Lord has raised his fist against There must be something wrong with me, right? If I'm in this situation or I, I can't seem to have it all together like the other women inside of my church or and the enemy says there must be something wrong with you if you keep losing like this in your life you keep on experiencing rejection you keep on losing there must be something there must be something really defective right about you and the difficulties in our life not only create uh, these beliefs through the deception from the enemy, but then he uses those reoccurring losses to reinforce those negative messages. And over time, it just becomes our internal dialogue. And we might sing songs in church and raise our hands up high. But all the while, the enemy keeps telling us there must be something really wrong with you. And so we begin to self-deprecate. And we begin to just 
instead of resisting the enemy, right? We just, we just, you know, start agreeing with what he says. I'm telling you, today is the day we draw the line no more. And then it says that Orpar decides to leave, but that Ruth determines to stay. And when she uh, is determined to stay, there's those beautiful verses, I'm going to read them in a minute, but where she promises her loyalty and her love to Naomi and, and to follow Naomi's God. And um, Ruth, that word Ruth actually means friendship. And I, I think a lot of things about that, but one thing that I see from this is that God was bringing her a true friend that she kept trying to push away inside our redemption. And I've seen this in my life. Mm. He will bring you a beautiful friend. And if you're saying to yourself, well, that hasn't happened to me, Eileen, you know something that the Lord loves to do too? He loves to be your friend first. He loves for you to find that deep intimacy with him. And perhaps the Lord right now in this season, perhaps he's your Ruth. Will you open up your hands to him? The next thing that we see are the seeds of the Spirit of bitterness, verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is that really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life bitter for me. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi actually means pleasant. Instead, call me Marah, which means bitter. For the Lord has made my life very bitter for me. Now, I want to just pause right there. I didn't say, uh, I said the seeds of a spirit of bitterness. Now, there's a big difference because here's, here's the reality. For you to experience anger and frustration and fear uh, about your loss, for you to cry and wail about what you've lost in your life, it's not only normal, but it's a, a lot of times it's a necessary part of the process that you have to give yourself the grace to grieve. And you know, a lot of times with grieving, there's a beginning season where you're just sort of um, numb to everything and you're in denial of your loss. And then all of a sudden, it's like the feelings just come like a flood and you're angry. And just like a coffee cup that's all the way full with coffee, right? And you, you hit the coffee cup and, you know, and that, so the coffee cup spills out, you know, it just takes one little thing for somebody to, to set you off. And the Lord knows, the Lord knows the loss in your life that put that seed there. He knows it. And he knows how the enemy has continued to lie to you so that the seed will grow, not just into a place of releasing the anger, but to a place where it just overtakes you. 
And then sometimes inside of church, we hear things like, get rid of all bitterness, which is which is Ephesians 4.31. It is in the word of God. And for years, I thought that meant that if I felt angry from a betrayal, from a loss in my life, that I shouldn't feel that way. And I could just needed to pretend that I was okay. But here's the thing, pretending that you are okay does not make it go away. You know that verse, get rid of all bitterness and anger. I think you've got to get it out, right? And you've got to get it out in a healthy way. And if we believe uh, that we cannot process pain with God and that it's not okay for us to be angry about the loss in our life, then we're going to push it down through pretending. And that's when it begins to grow and take root. The quicker you can release that to the Lord in honesty, the quicker He can run and help you to, to change your heart and to take that from you. Bitterness and anger over a loss, over a betrayal that you've experienced. It is a natural and necessary part for us to give ourselves permission to feel that pain and then to get it out before the Lord, right? Unexpressed, unresolved anger can give birth to bitterness. And when you feel there is no action left to take because everything is out of your control, bitterness can grow. And I actually happen to think that Naomi maybe felt like our children do when they get home from school and they finally feel like they can let it all out. That perhaps it was that in the sight of familiar faces and women who recognized her around her tribe, she finally let out her feelings of bitterness. And she was honest before others. And before God. And I wonder if this was a part of her turning point. I really believe that it was. We're going to see inside of the next chapter uh, those signs of of new growth. And then we see this. We see the seeds of scarcity. Verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Oh, doesn't the enemy love to point out everything in our life that we don't have. He loves to do it. He loves to give us that scarcity mentality. And he loves to say, you've got nothing to give. You've lost everything. You have absolutely nothing. And then he'll point out all the bad stuff so that you'll focus in on that in such a way that it eclipses the blessings that are right before you. It will eclipse them, right? Like these these sunglasses, you just, you know, you won't be able to see it, right? And this will reinforce the victimization. And also, it, it because you're not aware of what you do have, you don't pour into that, right, to begin your new beginning. Now, Naomi was blinded to God's blessings. And the truth was that Naomi was still blessed. She was not empty. 
uh, Ruth was determined to help her. Verse 18, it said the tribe, it said the entire uh, town was excited by her arrival. Verse 19, Naomi was back inside of God's refuge where there were laws that he put in place to protect uh, widows. And then most of all, she had the Lord. When we lose everything, we find uh, that he is enough that he is enough. So Ruth was blessed. Now it was true that she had lost a lot, but in the losing, God is still giving. Uh, Naomi was blessed. She was not empty. The emptiness was her perspective, but it was not God's truth. And then we see the final thing, And this is the goal. This is the ultimate goal for the enemy inside of our life. The seeds of blame against the Lord. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me? Have you, like me, ever been so angry with God? because of what you've lost and you don't understand. But let me tell you something, that this is the enemy's bottom line goal because the Lord is the one who can rebuild our lives. And when he rebuilds it, and we'll see this in Naomi's life, it goes beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. But the only way that happens is if we cease control and stop resisting his help, right? And instead resist the enemy, right? And surrender to him. So how do we win this battle against the enemy when he is roaring at us with those lies about God's love for us? And perhaps it is that we're still attending church or going to Bible study, but deep down within the core of our being, there's something that the enemy has sown that makes us feel ashamed and tells us that God is not for us. Well, if that is his bottom line lie that sort of stems out and affects every other lie we might believe about ourselves, then we need to flip it on him and respond back with this solid truth, God is for me. In fact, the farmer is for me. Think about it. Whenever a farmer plants plants, he is for the plants uh, having and bearing fruit. Even when there's nothing seen above the soil yet, He's for the fruit. Even when there are weeds that sprout up in the garden, he's for the fruit. Even when the weather gets nasty and and the sun dries everything out, he is for the fruit. You may be facing great loss. You may be facing awful circumstances, but that never means that the farmer is not for you. God is a master gardener. And in John 15, 1 and 2, we learn that the reason that he prunes is for us to be fruitful. And when we don't see evidence of that yet, we can have 
uh, victory in our life, whenever the enemy starts to sow his lies, we can respond back with this simple truth. The farmer is for me. And that is our harvest principle of this week. God will make everything beautiful in his own time. The farmer is for you. Don't give up. Give in to him. Let go and surrender and let the Lord love you. So that, that's our harvest principle for this week, that the farmer is, is always for us, that while we may not see evidence of that in our lives right now, that it's paramount for us to believe that God is working in ways that we cannot see, that inside of this wilderness season, before we yet see the buds come forth, that he's, he's actually preparing us uh, for what is necessary for the next harvest uh, down the line. And though we can't understand it now. The goal is not to understand it. The goal is to continue to say the farmer is for me. That the enemy knows, like he knows about your past. He knows about the losses in your life. And he knows about that very loss that you're terrified of losing, right? And so he knows your past, right? He's been working and scheming all this time. He's been uh, solidifying those lies and burying them deep within your subconscious. And so all the enemy has to do, right, is start a song in your life. And then we will just come right along and finish it. If you think about a a commercial jingle, uh, sometimes people can just give you the first stanza of it and you will hop right along and complete it. And so we are going to stop his song by whenever we have those feelings, those seeds of victimization, those seeds of shame, those seeds of scarcity pop up, we're going to remember not to join the song, but to say back, the farmer is for me. In Ecclesiastes 3, we talked about the fact that there is a time to plant and a time to reap. On down in that chapter in verse 11, it says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We have no idea what God is doing, but what we do know, what what he promised us inside of his word is that the farmer is for us. And because of that, we can trust him to surrender, and to let him love us. And we can let go of trying to fix the redemption and and rebuild what was lost. And we can just come into his arms and say, I believe that you're for me and I'm going to just let go. So I want to end today by just giving you um, some practical steps that you can take to, to build that faith. Make sure that you're practicing gratitude. Now, if you've got your nourish notebook, 
hallelujah, you're already doing that every day that you use your Nourish Notebook. And I'm telling you, gratitude is powerful because it highlights what you do have, what how God is blessing you. And while the enemy wants to eclipse all that by getting you to focus on what you don't have, God wants to highlight uh, what he, how he is blessing you. And that's the power of gratitude. It shifts our perspective. And the more that we see these little blessings in our life, the more when we sing that song back to the enemy, the farmer is for me, right? It'll start to just even solidify that deeper into our soul. So the first thing is practice gratitude. The second thing is to begin to pray boldly to God and to ask Him for help for something that you need. Let me tell you something. When we have experienced loss and the enemy is after us, that is the time where we need God the most. And one of the most, you know, he wants us to believe, right, that we should pray small and that uh, we are filled with shame. We should pray based on our ability. But God says, you come and pray based on who I am. And asking for help, you know, uh, uh, it's true. It is absolutely true. And I want you to hear me. If you've been betrayed by people, you can't trust everybody, but you can trust the Lord. And He is a solid and safe and good place for us who are afraid or really don't like to receive help to begin to be vulnerable before Him and to ask for it. We want to ask for it. And then we want to let go of the outcome, right? And that will give us freedom. And then I want you to begin to just celebrate every progress that you make. You know, you may not be all the way where you need to be, right? But but in this chapter, right? Uh, and this is the very beginning of, of Naomi's um, next chapter and to her redemption. But she left Moab, didn't she? And that's a step. And we need to start thinking about things that way. You may not be where you are in your journey of inner healing, but you are on your way. And one of the most powerful ways you can do that is to just pause and celebrate small victories. And when you fall, and when you make a mistake, and when you slip back into the scarcity mentality or buy the enemy's lies about those seeds of shame, Pick yourself back up again and say, guess what? I may have fallen to that, but I realized it sooner. Celebrate how far you've come. And then I want you to begin, as, as we were looking through Naomi's life, one of, the, one of the things that happened to me is it gave me so much awareness. As I was looking into her life and seeing how those seeds of deception, the seeds of shame and uh, uh, self-reliance, how that impacted and uh, tried to get in the way, interrupting uh, her redemption, it brought awareness, right, to some of my own actions. And God, the the gardener, he wants to prune those things right out of us. And so it's about being okay with God showing you through your actions of what you actually believe. 
You see, our actions are tied to those deep down beliefs. I mean, do we really believe that God is our provider? Do we really, really believe that God loves us, right? And so if we are having issue with that because of the enemy's attack, awareness is not a place of shame. It's a place that we can bring this to the Lord. And this is another important thing with authenticity to get the help that we need. We need to become aware and then come to the Lord with authenticity. And that includes the anger that we have towards Him. I tell this story a lot, so I apologize if you've heard it. But when I went through a very deep loss and um, I was trying so hard to move forward and I was trying so hard not to be bitter, but it was just there. And one thing that I want to say is that anger and frustration about loss is not only natural, it's a necessary part, right? That we need to process pain. And so there will be a period of time for that. We just don't want to get stuck there. And we have to get those feelings out. And uh, when I was in my season of loss and I couldn't seem to move forward, um, I uh, started seeing a therapist. And one of the first things that he said to me in our in our first meeting after I'd shared my stories, he said, Eileen, have you taken the time to get angry at God? Have you told him how you feel? And I didn't even tell him that I was angry at God. And I had to stop and say, no, I can't do that. That's the Lord, right? And what he said to me was a huge turning point. He said, until you're honest with God, you cannot heal. And so I actually set aside a day and I started pouring out my feelings and getting angry at God of so many things in my life that I didn't understand. And it was like the floodgates opened up and tears just began to flow. And it was a turning point. It wasn't pushing the feelings down and trying to modify my behavior. It was being authentic before the Lord. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness. You've got to get it out. And it's not behavior modification. It happens on a heart level. And that's something that the Lord has to do. And that should be very freeing for us. In fact, another point that I want to say to this is that when you have awareness, right, make sure that you don't swing to absolutes that can create uh, behavior modification instead of inner transformation. Like let's say, for example, um, you are betrayed and hurt by a man. And so then you say, I will never date again, right? I will never, I will always, um, I will never receive help again. I will never trust anybody again. You be careful for that. And you know what? Sometimes we need a season to get saturated with the Lord and to get centered back on Him so that He can give us discernment right? Because another absolute would be, right? Oh, I see that I'm resisting help, so now I'm just going to let everybody help me, right? And sometimes when people are trying to help you, that's not from the Lord. It's all about tuning into the Holy Spirit, not creating these inner laws of absolutes, but being authentic before the Lord and asking for help and and receiving that help from Him. And you watch and see how you process this pain with the Lord that one day at a time, 
one step at a time, you will begin your journey to redemption. When I was honest with the Lord, there was a huge weight that was lifted off of my chest, but there was still, there was still the journey. But I knew that there was a turn that happened. And the same can happen for you. And the last thing is that we must understand that we cannot experience progress and growth and stay in control at the same time. And when we've lost something, there's something in us that says, I never want to do that again, or I will fix this, and this is how it's going to look. And God says, surrender, right? The first thing is that Naomi had to return home. And the second step in her journey is she had to stop resisting her Redeemer. And I believe that inside of this chapter, as she was honest before her tribe and for, before God, I don't believe that it was all bad. I believe that it was a turning point. It was a place to where she could make the shift. And you and I are going to see in the next chapter that Naomi's hope is going to start building. And the first place that we begin is through awareness of what we actually believe, of going to God with our authentic feelings and getting help from Him, of practicing gratitude so we can see that evidence of how the farmer is for us, of praying boldly so we can see God answering our prayers again, of walking with the Lord one day at a time, one step at a time, and saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to redeem it. And I'm going to let go of the how and the how it's supposed to all be. And I'm going to cease control and just surrender. You see, sometimes when we talk about surrender, we, we automatically assume God wants me to surrender someone or something or wh whatever it may be. And really what he wants is your heart. Because what the enemy wants to do, right, is to call you to not trust God and to harden your heart towards the Lord. But when we let these hits that come to our life, when we allow it to create compassion, it makes our hearts soft to receive the new seed so that out of the ashes of our past, new life can begin. I want to ask you a question. What if tears were a part of the process to nourish the seed for God's redemption? What if the hard stuff before God's harvest could help build your faith to support the fruit in your next season? What if the pressing was there to make your heart soft and compassionate? What if letting go of your plan ushers you into God's plan for your life? What if you knew that you had everything you needed right at your hands to start again? When Ruth shared her loyalty with Naomi, she said these words to her, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and God will be my God. 
Wherever you are, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. In the loyalty of her friendship and in the loyalty of her heart, we see this agape love that says, I'm not worried about the outcome. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I just know that I want to be with you. And that is a place of surrender. That is the kind of friendship that we give to the Lord. We trust Him. And any time you need inspiration that our Lord is trustworthy, you remember that He let go of His one and only Son to give you the love that could never let you go. Here's to your next chapter. In due time, after your holy pause, in your wilderness season, God will make all things beautiful again. And in the waiting, would you respond to the enemy's attacks with a beautiful song that just sings, the farmer is for me. And instead of resisting God's rebuild in your life, resist the enemy instead and fall into your Redeemer's arm to receive your redemption. One beautiful, bold, brave step of faith at a time. Mm -hmm.